Welcome to Truths for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall. All right, on Wednesday nights we've begun a study on the book of Ephesians. And it's just good old basic Bible study. You know, when I um, when I was saved and gave my life to Christ, I I just I I was born again with a hunger for the Word of God. I wanted to understand the Bible in a better way. In fact, I was saved, and then a few months later we had vacation Bible school at Sycamore Baptist Church in Sycamore, Georgia, where I was saved. And um, I took a week's vacation so I could go to vacation Bible school. It was during the day. And the reason I went there was we were having an adult class on, I forget what, what the class was, but I don't know. I just, I was born again with a hunger for the Word of God. And then, of course, later on, the, the Lord called me to preach. And um, as, a, as, a, as a Christian and as a pastor, I was trained, I guess, in what I would call the classical way of preaching and the classical way of doing Bible study. It's not fancy-smancy, you know. I don't have a lot of props and illustrations and, you know, smoke going up or anything like that. I just just teach the Word of God is what I do. And for me, that's enough, you know. I don't have, you don't have to fancy it up or anything like that. And, and so you can learn so much from just, just basic expository grammatical paying attention to the grammar and all of that stuff of just good basic Bible study. And it's been a blessing to me. And I, I you know, I, I hope and pray it's been a blessing to those that I've been able to just share, you know, the, the Word of God with. So we're studying the book of Ephesians. And in the last time we were together, we talked about the book of Ephesians. i just give you a little rundown summary again. The book of Ephesians in the New Testament, of course, was written to the church at Ephesus, okay? Church at Ephesus. And if you want to know where that is, you can go to the back of your Bible and you can find that, that, that map that has to do with, you know, the world in the time of the New Testament. Look at Turkey. You got Turkey here. You got Greece there. You put them together. You got Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> okay. Uh, but you got, you got Turkey and you got Ephesus Right there in, in uh, Turkey. Paul spent about, according to the book of Acts, he spent about three years in Ephesus. Um, he started out teaching in the synagogue. The, the Jews kicked him out, you know, the, uh, of the synagogue. And so he went next door to uh, the um, uh, meeting hall of Tyrannius, and he started a church there. And so he spent a lot of time. He had a great love for the, for the Christians in Ephesus. So Paul's in prison in Rome, and he receives a visitor from Ephesus. And the visitor has a little gift for Paul from the church. And, you know, and he himself, this visitor, has come to fellowship with Paul, to strengthen him and encourage him while Paul is in prison. Now, we say in prison. It wasn't like prison, you know, bars like you see on TV or anything like that. According to Acts 28, Paul was in a rented house. He was imprisoned in a rented house. And he wasn't guarded like all of these big detachment of Roman soldiers. There was probably one, maybe two, assigned to look over the Apostle Paul. And he was able to receive people in his house. He was able to meet with people in his house. He was able to send letters, receive letters, 
receive gifts and things like that. So he was under arrest and he was in peril because he was going through the Roman court system, the different levels of the Roman, you know, an American court system, we have the local courts and then you go up to this court and you go up to that court all the way to the Supreme Court. Well, Paul was going through the different levels of the, the Roman court system. And so even though he was in a house, a rented house, and we don't know who rented the house or who made it available to Paul, but it was, he was there. Even though, you know, he had a measure of freedom, he was still incarcerated in Roman justice and he was still in peril. Um, and we don't know how, how Paul's case was adjudicated, but we do know he was released and he went about preaching again. Then he got rearrested in 2 Timothy. When Paul wrote 2 Timothy, he was in a dungeon, terrible dungeon. But anyway, Paul is, Paul, this is one of Paul's prison epistles. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. The book of Ephesians is just a marvelous book. All books of the Bible are marvelous, you know. But the book of Ephesians is a tremendous book. It has two basic themes to it. You know, when you read it and study a book of the Bible, you want to look for the themes. You want to look for the key. Uh, usually when Paul wrote something, he had something in mind. For instance, when he wrote the book of Romans, Paul was about to go to Jerusalem with a gift for the church at Jerusalem he had gathered from the Gentile churches. He's about to go to Jerusalem. And so he says to himself, you know, if I go to Jerusalem... And I get arrested and get killed there. There's going to be no record of all of this stuff that God has revealed to me. So I better put down on paper all of these great doctrines and these great truths that God has revealed to me. There needs to be a record of it. So he sat down and he wrote the book of Romans. And he, he his systematic presentation of the truths that God had revealed to him so that there would be a record somewhere. So there's always a story behind each one of these books. And, and, and Paul just wants to encourage the church at Ephesus. He loves these people. It basically has two themes that the book of Ephesians surrounds or, or presents. One of the themes is our riches in Christ. Paul wants the, these Christians to understand all of the riches that God has given us in Christ Jesus. And he's not talking about material things. He's not talking about earthly things. Those things are going to fade away. You know, the richest man in the world, what is it, Elon Musk? What a weird looking dude, but that's all right. You know, he, he's, he's got billions and billions and billions of dollars, you know. When he dies, big deal. <laughs> right? I mean, big deal. How much is he going to leave? All of it. And, and, you know, so earthly riches are nice to have and they're good to have. And, you know, and the Lord promised if we're going to love him and live for him, he's going to take care of our needs. But, but the riches Paul is talking about is not earthly things, temporary things, things of this world. The riches we have in Christ, the riches of forgiveness and grace and mercy and the privilege of prayer and all of the treasures of heaven that he gives to his people. Riches that we can't even begin to understand or calculate. And so he wants these Christians to understand because these are poor people. The early Christians were poor people. They were not from the upper crust, the upper class. Very few Christians 
were, were a part of the upper strata of Roman society or Greek society. Working class folks, slaves, people who lived day to day, you know, from uh, making a living. The common people, that's where Christianity, most of the early Christians were. And he wanted them to understand, you may not have a lot here, but ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you got a lot there. <laughs> you are a plutocrat. You have great riches in Christ. And so he wanted them to understand that. The second theme of the book of Ephesians is about the church. Uh, and Paul really talks about the, the mystery of the church, the purpose of the church, the importance of the church, the function of the church, and how individual believers are to function in the church. The church was very important to the Apostle Paul. The church is very important to God. There's the church universal. You know, there, there's the church worldwide. We're all part of one worldwide congregation that consists of all true believers in Christ. But there are also local congregations who make up that worldwide church. And the New Testament was written to local churches, Ephesians. Colossians, Galatians, all of them written either to local churches or people who were involved in leadership in, in local churches. And so Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians, the church and how important the church is. And he wants these Christians to understand that, that it is God's intention for God's people to be active and involved in the life of a local church. And that still holds true today. The construction of this book is kind of simple. It, 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 Paul follows kind of a pattern in a lot of his books. In the first part of the, the book, that he, he'll talk a lot about theological stuff and doctrinal stuff. And he'll present great theological truths and doctrinal truths. And then the latter part of his letters, he'll then talk about practical Christian living. How do you take those truths and, and how do you live these truths out in everyday living and all in, in your everyday life? And so the first part of Ephesians has a lot to do with theology and doctrine. The last part of the book of Ephesians has to do with practical everyday living. How do you put that theology and that doctrine and let it influence your life on a daily basis? And so... That, that's kind of uh, the, the summary of our beginning. Now, we're going to look at the first two verses of the book of Ephesians. Uh, here's how Paul begins this letter. And, you know, the, his letter, his letters uh, generally follow the basic New Testament pattern of writing a letter. When we write a letter today, and I don't know, you know, maybe we don't, we don't write a lot of letters since we have email, right? You know, so. Uh, but in, in the way they wrote letters is... The writer identifies himself first. He says some things about himself. Then he, he speaks of those he's addressing. He gives a greeting and then he maybe gives a preview of what he's gonna write about and then he gets into the body, the body of the letter. When we write a letter, we say, we identify who we're writing to, dear so-and-so. We write the letter and we don't identify ourselves until the end of the letter. You know, yours truly, Chris. <laughs> We start off with who's right to, and we, we, we end up with, you know, who's the author? Well, in the New Testament pattern of writing letters, the writer identifies himself first, which makes kind of sense, doesn't it? 
And, but he follows a pattern. Listen how Paul introduces this letter. He said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Here's a prayer, a quick prayer for them. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of times when we read the New Testament, we run through those introductory verses. You know, we just kind of, we run through them. But let's take a moment and look at how Paul introduces himself. He begins this letter by identifying himself as an apostle. The word apostle itself means one who is sent. A sent one. It's signified in the Christian sense of the word as being a special messenger of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I am an apostle. I've been called to this office by the will of God. Now, what qualified Paul to be an apostle? Well, according to the book of Acts, apostles were those who had actually seen the resurrected Lord. If you hadn't seen the resurrected Lord, you, you couldn't be an apostle. But not every person who saw the resurrected Lord was called by God to be apostle with a capital A. In fact, there's only 14 men in history who have the right to call themselves apostles of Jesus Christ. Those 14 are the 12 disciples, Matthias, who took the place of Judas, and the apostle Paul himself. Now, when did Paul see the resurrected Lord? On the road to Damascus, right? So he saw the resurrected Lord. And, and so Paul said, I am an apostle. And sometimes, here's, you know, Paul had enemies. He had, he, had, he had people who identified themselves as Christians who were his enemies. And, and they were jealous of, of, of how people listened to Paul and, and the place that Paul had, the prestige that Paul had. So if you're jealous of somebody, what do you do? You attack them. You tear them down. You attack their character. You attack them. You know, because you want to tear them down in order to build yourself up. That's a horrible way to live. That's a horrible way to do things. And so people would attack Paul and make all kinds of accusations and insinuations about Paul. And so Paul, he's about to write under the authority of God. And so he establishes his authority for writing what he is about to write. Now he's not bragging. He's stating a fact. See, the New Testament is, hasn't been written yet when he writes the book of Ephesians. The Gospels are in the process of being written. There is no New Testament. And so Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he wants to, to give his authority. What authority, Paul, do you have to be writing to us and telling us these things, speaking for God? What authority do you have to do that? He's an apostle. He's been called by God to that office. So there's only really 14 people who can call themselves apostles, capital A. Now, today, sometimes you'll hear people call themselves apostles. You know, and they'll, they'll assume that they have that, that title, you know, 
and they'll announce themselves on the radio or in the newspapers, apostle so-and-so is going to be preaching here, or apostle so-and-so is going to be, you know, this, that, and the other. And I'll just tell you honestly, can I be honest with you? I'll tell you honestly what that is. That is an attempt to give themselves a place and a prestige that they do not have. They want to try to make themselves special. So they call themselves an apostle, you know? And they give themselves that title in order to impress you that there's something special about them. Nobody today has the right to call themselves an apostle. That is an office that has passed. Now, in the New Testament, there are three titles given to pastors. Three different titles are given to pastors in the New Testament. Pastors in the New Testament are called elders, pastor, and bishop or overseer. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. The elders who are among you I exhort. In other words, Peter says, I want to talk to the preachers a minute. He calls them elders. The elders who are among you I want to exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd. The word literally is pastor. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you serving as overseers. The word literally is bishop. Not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. And so a pastor is given three different titles in the New Testament. Elder, pastor, bishop. Now those are not three different offices. Those are three different aspects or dimensions of the same office. You know, an elder is one who uh, is, is, uh, is able to give counsel, able to one who is, give to, is who's to give direction. A shepherd is one who takes care of the sheep. A bishop is one who oversees the work of God. So those are not three different offices. Those are three different aspects of the same office, which is the pastor. And so... So, you know, sometimes people ask me, well, why do you want me to call you? Preacher, brother preacher, pastor, what do you want me to call you? And I always tell them, call me for supper. <laughs> Just brother Chris is fine with me. You know, I'm not an apostle. I'm not a scholar. I'm just a preacher. And that's all right. I like that, don't y'all? I just, just brother Chris. That's good. See, that's good. I did have one kid one time. Somebody called me Brother Chris, and uh, they, uh, the little kid asked his daddy, said, is he your brother? <laughs> yeah, a little kid, you know, like two years old. Is he, is, is he your brother? All right. And so Paul says, I'm an apostle. This is the authority I have to write you this letter. This is the authority I have to present to you the truths that I'm about to present to you. I have been called by God to this place and to this position. And so he presents his credentials. Now they knew his credentials. He had ministered in Ephesus, but he, he presents them again. Now, 
He identifies himself and then he gives two identifying qualities to those to whom he is writing. He says, I am writing to the believers in the church at Ephesus. And he calls those believers saints and the faithful ones. Saints and those who are faithful. The word saint is the root word of the word sanctify. To sanctify something is to make it holy. Something that is sanctified has a sense of holiness. The word saint means one who is holy. Literally, the word holy means to cut. Did y'all know that? Originally, the word holy means to cut. In other words, God is a cut above us. God is nothing like us. God is holy. We're here. He's there, right? He's a cut above us. As Christians, we are called to be saints. We are saints because we've given our life to Christ. We are to live a life that is a cut above the lost world. And so who's a saint? Now, you know, the Catholics have the saint this, saint that, you know, and you can go through the thing to become a saint and that kind of thing. But the Bible teaches that every Christian is a saint. If you're a Christian, you are one who has been set apart as belonging to God to serve God in this world. A saint is one who has been set apart. In our house, we have China. That China is set apart. When we have bologna sandwiches, we don't eat off of fine china. We eat off of our everyday dishes. That fine china has been set apart for special occasions. I can't remember the last time we ate off that fine china. It's been a long time. It has been. It was made in occupied Japan. Don't get my saber started on that China, please. <laughs> and when we move, I don't touch the China. I am a smart man, you know. But that, that's, that's special. That's set apart. Well, you know, as a Christian, you are special. God has set you apart. He set you apart to live a life that brings him honor and glory. And he has set you apart to serve him in this world. You're not everyday dishes. You're fine china. You are a saint of God, one who has been set apart. We become saints when we give our life to Christ. And He saves us. His Holy Spirit comes to live within us. We become His children. And He sets us apart to love Him and to live for Him in this world. And so we are the saints. And he also identified these Christians in Ephesus as being faithful, having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word goes beyond just having faith to being faithful. You want to prove your faith? You want to test if your faith is true? Are you faithful? If you're not faithful to God, then it's likely you don't have faith in God. <laughs> faith in God is proved by faithfully loving Him and living for Him in this world. So Paul says, I'm an apostle. I'm writing this to you. I've been called by God. 
That's my standing. That's my credentials. I'm not bragging. That's just the truth of what God has done me to do. And I'm writing to you in Ephesus, you saints of God, you faithful ones there. I'm writing to you. You say, well, I don't feel like a saint. Well, that's all right. You are a saint and God is working to help you to become the saint that he wants you to be. It's like on the first day of practice. When Kirby Smart gets those Georgia Bulldogs together. He's got some new players there. And he says, I want you to know that you are Georgia Bulldogs. Well, technically, they're not Georgia Bulldogs yet until they play a game. You know, and they, they play. But he's saying, this is what you are and this is what you're going to become. And when God calls us saints, he says, this is what you are. And my Holy Spirit's going to work within you. To help you to be, to be what I have called you to be. <laughs> I've called you to be saints. And so God is working in us through the work of sanctification. Now, he identifies himself as the writer, those to whom he is writing as the saints and the faithful ones. Then he talks about the location to which he is writing. Ephesus is the geographical location of these believers. Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, is where this church is. This is where this church has been established. That's the geographical location of this church. This is the church of the saints and the faithful ones who are in Ephesus. Ephesus was an important place. It was the capital of the province of Asia. It was a very important place in the Roman Empire in that area of the world. A church was needed there. Uh, the witness of a church was needed there. It was vital for this church to be there. This is the crossroads in many ways of that area. People coming in and out of Ephesus all the time. There needed to be a strong witness of a church there in Ephesus. There needs to be a church here. There needs to be a church in this community. There are over 5,000 homes within a 5 uh, to 10 mile radius of Mercedes Baptist Church. There needs to be a strong church here. There needs to be an active church here. There needs to be a church proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. There needs to be a church that's carrying out works, good works that, that show the love of Christ to those around us. Everywhere where God plants a church, there needs to be a church there. It's important. And it's important, it was important for Ephesus, it's important for here, where we are, that there's a church there. Now that's the geographical location. The church is in Ephesus. Then he gives the spiritual location, those saints and those faithful ones who are in, in Ephesus, who are in Christ. That's the spiritual location. Okay? The geographical locations in Ephesus, the spiritual location is in Christ. The Bible talks about when you're saved, you are now in Christ. You are in a relationship with Christ. You are in a fellowship with Christ. You have entered into the sphere of a saving relationship with Christ. You are in Christ. That's a special place to be, to be in Christ. Access to Christ as Savior and Lord. 
That door is not open because you're good. You're not. That door is not open because you've done something. You'll never do enough. That door is not open because of who you are or what you've done. That door is open because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so now you have entered into a special sphere of fellowship and relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You are in Christ. What a special place to be. See, when you, when you go to an introduction of a book, we often just run through the thing. Now, me as a pastor, me as, you know, doing this for ever how long I've been doing this, I, I look at words and why did he say that? What does that mean? Why did he word it that way? How can I understand that? Now, it may be tedious to some people, but that's so rich and important. Here is Paul, the apostle, writing to the saints and the faithful who are in Ephesus, how important it is that this church is there, and they are in Christ. And that's why they're a church, because they're in Christ. They've given their life to Christ. Then Paul gives a blessing, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he gives them a blessing, a prayer, grace to you. Grace is a great word. Isn't grace a great word? We are saved by grace. We are kept saved by grace. We are secured by grace. We are strengthened by grace. It is grace that has seen us thus far. It is grace that will see us home. It is all by the grace of Almighty God that we have been saved and born again. It's grace. I don't want to live any day in my own ability, my own identity. I don't want to live any day in that. I want to live by grace. I don't want to live by justice because if I got justice, I'd go to hell. I want to live by grace. God's grace. Amazing grace. Wonderful grace. It's grace that strengthens us in times of trial and trouble and sickness and uh, going through what we go through, it's, it's grace that secures us to God. It's grace, grace, grace. Paul says grace to you and peace. You can't have peace unless you have grace. <laughs> peace flows out of the grace of God. I can have peace with what's going on in this world because I know I've been saved by grace and I am secured by grace. And so whatever storm comes, I can have peace in God, knowing that He will never let me go. He will never leave me nor forsake me, that I am His child. The word peace in the original language is the word Irene. The word Irene, you know, the name Irene comes from the Greek for peace, Irene. So Irene means one of peace. And it, it pictures a harbor a safe harbor where a ship is located in a safe harbor, safe from the storms, safe from the tumult of, of uh, the storms and, and all of that. And here's this ship safe in the harbor. To have peace with God means that you're safe in the arms of God and He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will see you through. Let the storms come. Let the trials come. Let it all come. God has you. 
You have his grace. And because you have his grace, you can have his peace. Thank you for joining us for our program today. Truths for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall is a presentation of Hall Sports Communications. To contact us, you can send an email to chrishall71 at hotmail.com. That's chrishall71 at hotmail.com. Be sure to join us for our next program. Until then, stay safe and may God bless you.